Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the fact that you did not redeem, just redeem us as individuals, but that you brought us into a family, your church community. And uh, really is amazing hearing everyone just talk and laugh and engage. And as we today spent some time uh, welcoming family into our local church community. They've always been a part of our family, uh, but our local church family. I would pray it would just be a special day and that you, um, that you'd be glorified, um, that we would be blessed, um, and that uh, something significant would happen that impacts the future. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, so if you are, are new or you are not, uh, we have been a, in a teaching series now for a few weeks called Salt and Light. And normally as a church, we teach through books of the Bible expositionally, verse by verse. We spent a year going through the book of Romans prior to this series. But over the last few weeks, we've been doing uh, a thematic series, which is when we look at a theme or a topic at different uh, points that deal with it in Scripture. And so this series is rooted in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, where he compares the church, his spiritual family, to salt and light. He says a good church functions like salt and it functions like light. And it's not just because I, I love salt, like salt's great. Uh, I'm a big salt guy. I love salty food. Uh, he, he's saying salt doesn't just taste delicious. Um, it changes things. It preserves things. It's valuable. And so as you think through the ways, um, as you look at what salt was and how it was viewed in the ancient world, you kind of understand what Jesus is calling his church to be. And it's the same thing with light. And what we talked about with salt and light is that they impact the things they come into contact with. If there is darkness and light comes in, it is no longer completely darkness. If salt touches food, again, it just gets better. And so based on Jesus' teaching, we've been asking two questions. What does it mean for the church to be salt and light? And how practically can we live that out? So there's the what is it, which we spent the first few weeks on. And then the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we can be salt and light. And so a few weeks ago, we, uh, we started answering the how questions. Jackie let out, uh, she taught on hospitality and what it looks like to welcome people into our lives as a means of introducing them to Jesus and his kingdom. A couple weeks back, I taught on provocative living and what it looks like to be the kind of person other people are both drawn to and have questions for. Um... Three weeks ago, Royce taught on work or vocation and how we can use our careers or work weeks to bless those around us. Two weeks ago, Maria taught on partnering with the Holy Spirit and on uh, prayer and prophecy as we bless people in Jesus' name. And then last week, I taught on something that is not normally a part of a mission or outreach series. I taught on parenting or nurturing our children as a community to know and experience the love of Jesus and then talked about what it might look like for them to take that love into the world as they get older. And this week... I wanted to look at another topic that isn't always a part of an outreach series or an evangelism series or a mission series. Just like raising kids isn't normally there. I think there's another one that's really important. It's the idea, uh, like in our current cultural moment, it's, it's very important. It's the idea of loving church leadership or loving leadership, period. Many of you in this room have been entrusted to lead in your workplaces in unions, in districts, in offices, in companies, in ministries. And I think that if anything's been abused throughout history, it's, it's power and it's leadership. Every country, every political system, every church, every church governance structure has seen this stuff happen. 
And the reason why I think it's important for a cultural moment is um, currently, as we think about being salt and light, there are some people who have lost their flavor for salts, which sounds like a terrible allergy. <laughs> Again, love salt. And it's like when light hits them, it's almost like they get a migraine. Uh, because uh, th there are people who were reached initially with an orthodox, doctrinally true biblical gospel, but were then hurt by leaders who were more interested in their own platforms and priorities and protecting themselves than pastoring the church. Um, orthodoxy, just a, a fancy word that means right doctrine or theology. It's like rightly aligned. Um, heterodoxy is false doctrine or false teaching. And throughout the New Testament, uh, there is calls to look out for false teaching and false teachers. And every day, uh, whether it's social media or it's uh, advertising or it's like, um, you know, messed up people from your family of origin or whatever, uh, we are hit with false teaching, false messages about who God is, about who we are, about what really matters in this life. So there's orthodoxy and heterodoxy. So it's hetero, different than orthodoxy. However, there's this other thing called orthopraxy, and it means m right practices or living. So uh, right, it, it, it's a way of living that's aligned with orthodoxy. And then there's this other thing called heteropraxy, which is false sinful living and practices. Now, many people, now here's what you need to know. Today, many people now reject orthodoxy because they've experienced the pain of a leader or a church's heteropraxy. Like, if these people that taught me these truths live like this, this isn't true. Um, over the last couple years online, I've come across a community of people who self-identify as the, the church burn community, and, and many of them have what they call deconversion stories or deconstruction stories. And these are stories of people who, on paper, used to be followers of Jesus, people who were even on church staffs, or just really involved in the life of the church who decided to walk away from the faith and encourage others to do the same. And now they spend so much time in their books and blogs and podcasts mocking the church, urging suspicion and creating a lot of confusion around what the gospel is. They tend to be super cynical, super sarcastic, super angry. And as I've listened to them, I've begun thinking, why and how did they walk away? Like, what happened to them where people on a church staff who were devoting so much of their life to the proclamation and demonstration of the gospel of Jesus and community would no longer want anything to do with Jesus or his community? And what's crazy is that the reason they walk away is almost never for logical reasons. Logical as in tied to things like scientific or historical evidence. They recently came across that in their opinion— disprove the resurrection of Jesus or the trustworthiness of the scriptures. It's almost never a progressive view of sexuality or morality that they thought was out of step with the life they wanted to live. Now, don't get me wrong. Many of those people do end up embracing weak logic for why you can't believe Jesus is God. Many of them did end up adopting moralities and a way of life that required them to restructure the ethical framework of their hearts. But the sobering thing I have realized is that often the genesis of them leaving their faith began not when they found something that was contrary. It's not when they found contrary teaching or morality, but when they were disillusioned with, disregarded, or dominated by a church leader or church community. Like a leader who claimed to follow Jesus while clearly living for themselves. 
It was a leader who demanded that they be forgiven for their sins and faults, but who regularly poured out their anger and wrath on those under their care. It was a leader who called the church to sexual purity and wholeness while secretly engaging in, and in the most heartbreaking circumstances, dragging others into sexual sin. It was a leader who told the church it was safe to confess their sin, and then they emotionally crucified them when they did, wounding them deeply. So when I look out at the stories of the de-churched, the deconverted, and there are many people like this today, I see a common formula to many of their deconversion stories. Again, it's not a formula that states the gospel of Jesus Christ makes no logical sense, therefore I have to walk away from these amazing yet uninformed people who are led by loving servants who genuinely but misguidedly proclaim a fairy tale. I've got to walk away from the church. This is so hard. The formula is often inverted. The formula usually states, if those who publicly call people to follow Jesus don't follow him themselves, then they don't actually believe it themselves. Therefore, this message isn't true. It's like the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy was a young leader. Paul was mentoring, and he writes this, 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Your orthopraxy and your orthodoxy, in other words. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And so who leads the church is a really big deal. It's heartbreaking when the wrong people lead. I felt this myself, by the way. I, I, I hit a moment where I like different people I looked up to from a distance, you know, like people whose like sermons I found encouraging or teaching was insightful or I thought they were doing big things, you know, in the church, church world. And uh, we, uh, we have a thread with the restored elders at different churches. And every once in a while, like an article will come through um, of like another church leader. Not usually it's they're never connected to us, honestly. It doesn't mean we're above that. It just hasn't happened yet. But like some article about someone we thought we respected about four years ago, I had a point where I was like, I can't listen to another sermon by a person I don't know personally. Like, I'm just, this is so depressing and so discouraging. And it makes me want to know, like, what's going on? And so leadership is what I want to talk about today. Now, luckily, the New Testament gives us instructions on the type of leaders we should appoint. Unfortunately, too many churches don't follow these instructions. Uh, we're kind of like people who disregard our owner's manual. Uh, we're kind of like people who disregard owner's manuals and treat products designed by someone however we want to treat them, and then we're shocked when it turns out bad, right? Like, I'm going to throw gas in this Tesla. It's like, bro, I don't think it's a good idea. You don't even have a tank. Like, I just don't, man, I just think this, this technology with gasoline, like, it's going to go places. And so often we're shocked when our car breaks down or the church splits. And the New Testament calls spiritual leaders uh, elders or overseers, pastors, and often the chaos and pain brought into the church by leaders and elders could have been avoided if the right type of leaders were appointed in the first place. If we followed God's instructions for church leadership in the New Testament. Churches often appoint pastors way too quickly. Uh, Paul, uh, and again, often they go, um, were you successful? Do you have a following on social media? Uh, do you have a nice resume? How many degrees from a seminary do you have? Um, how popular are you? How good of a speaker are you? But Paul warns against doing this too quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 22 to 25, he says, Do not be hasty, like don't be quick in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins 
of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Paul's saying it takes time to assess someone's character. You need to observe their, their life over time, their relationship, their tendencies, their love for the church, or their desire for power. Some people, like from the jump, they're obviously unqualified to be leaders. He's like, some people's sins are conspicuous. You meet them, you're like, not a leader today, right? Love you, not the right time. Um, they're angry, they're addicted, they're self-absorbed. But others, it's more subtle. They look shiny, they look churchy, they have right theological answers, they come to stuff, they come to everything. But over time, they prove to be divisive, always around gossip and complaining. They prove to be greedy, never giving or serving. They prove to be impure, partaking in low-key sexual relationships. Paul is saying people can present in a shiny way, but given enough time, their sins will be exposed. Their lives will betray them, and it won't remain hidden. And by the way, I'm not saying leaders need to be perfect, okay, at all. But they need to be people who um, are walking in and following, they're walking with and following Jesus consistently. And when they mess up, they talk about it, and they confess it, and they work through stuff. They apologize often. Good leaders apologize often. Good parents should apologize often. Good pastors should apologize often. There's a leader named Jack Miller who used to say the elders should be the lead repenters in the church. They learn how to repent watching their leaders. So if a leader is like always right all the time, they're not a good leader because they're not always right. They're just mean and proud. And so Paul is saying you'd rather... Um, Oh, by the way, he's also saying, given enough time, amazing people will shine through as amazing. Godly people will shine through as godly. Um, they might seem unimpressive initially, like they might not um, be, the, be the best, you know, socially. Uh, they might not be the funniest person. They might not know all their theological terms. They might have a job that keeps them from coming to, to every church event or whatever. But over time, people who seem unimpressive initially have a boatload of discipleship and generosity and peacemaking you didn't even know about. And Paul is saying you'd rather find out the ugly stuff before you make them a pastor, not after. Before finding out the ugly stuff, after, which leads to so much carnage. And so we need to take time to assess um, those, uh, we need time to assess um, those that desire to become leaders in the church. And this is why I think it's wildly irresponsible to hire pastors off of like church staffing websites. There is a thing, it's kind of like a monster.com. It's like, there's like a uh, church staffing world where people just post resumes and you just pick them and you just bring them in. And that's kind of it. You call two references. Oftentimes you're not allowed to contact the church they're at currently because they'd get fired because the church is unhealthy, but also because it's a whole shady endeavor. Uh, we had a time, Joseph Yasso is on our, um, our church's website and he got a, um, they're called headhunters in ministry. And, uh, and they like find people at mega churches to work at other mega churches. And I, I, we're not a mega church, but I just think we look kind of cool. Uh, and they saw Joseph, they're like, this guy's good looking, seems amazing. He's a man and he's in kids ministry. Uh, and he got an email that said, um, are you looking to work at a thriving church in the Tempe, Arizona region? <laughs> and they do this. I just get these. They tell you the amount of money you'll make, how many people are at the church, what your role will be. And uh, they have no concern for what the impact would be if someone left without process. Uh, they have no concern over if we can't check uh, references. We might be getting someone who's shady 
and could hurt people in our new context. None of that's considered. And Joseph actually emailed him back. He's like, hey, man, uh, I don't think you meant wrong here, but this email is like pretty inappropriate and uh, could honestly hurt the church you're looking for and hurt the church I'd be leaving. Uh, I encourage you to just like think about this. I forgot what he said. It's like think biblically about how to do this thing. And, uh, and so, again, as a family of churches, we believe in raising up and training leaders, not hiring them off the streets. But sometimes, based on a church's situation and resources, it can be wise to bring someone in from the outside of the local community to help with the work of leadership. Not someone that you find on a random website through a secret espionage process of interviewing that's motivated by money and the size of the church, which is like literally what Peter says not to be motivated by if you're a pastor. It's just amazing to me. But it should be someone you have long relationships with or someone vetted by someone you really trust. Sorry, it seems like a downer for Celebration Day, but I just think it's so important. <laughs> someone whose character that's as knowable as, as, is as knowable as it can be. And for the past four years, uh, I've, often, I, I've been doing kind of full-time uh, I've been the only vocational, full-time vocational pastor in this church. Uh, I want to honor Adam and Royce as Marketplace elders. They've carried more than they should, frankly. Like, they're amazing. Um, but in terms of a, yeah, no, seriously, give it up for them. Give it up for them, yeah. But uh, honestly, they have a uh, real job. I have a real job, believe me. But they, they have a, a job that they go to. Uh, they have children. Trang's pregnant right now. They have Avery. And like that takes a lot of work to love your wife well and to love your kids well. And I never want to be a church that burns out leaders and staff to the point where they can't care for their families. Like, again, it's, 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 it's listen to last week's sermon. Like, we don't want to do that. The means don't justify. The ends don't justify the means. Um, but I have felt like we've needed, since Herrick left, we've needed just one other person who has the time and experience. Um, the character was already there in Royce and Adam. It's just time and experience to be able to do this stuff. And so um, over the last few years, we've begun. Uh, and, and really, this is about giving Uptown the best leadership and service possible, right? I don't think I'm a bad leader, but I think it, it could be a lot better of a situation um, if someone else was here. And so for the last few years, we've begun conversations with Grant Michelle Clark about joining the Restore Church Uptown staff team. Um, and one thing I want to say about that is they, it's been the opposite of the church staffing thing in every way. Um, it was transparent. There was a conversation. There was multiple conversations. And the reason why they felt they could not come is they were like, we don't have anyone who can lead this church. And this isn't just a job. We care about what happens when we leave. And so for about two years, they had to think through, or quite a while, they had to think through who can lead this thing? And if we don't have someone to lead and love these people, we're not coming. That's the kind of heart I want in the people leading in the church. Not people who go, oh, cool opportunity, America, this could be different, adventure. But people who go, no, like, I, I want to go, I'm going to do the same work. Because here's the thing, people do the same work in the future. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this before in, like, the... I guess in the monster.com world, but, um, you know, past performance uh, usually indicates future, you know, performance, whatever. And, uh, and it's like, man, the way that he shepherded and led Harbor City and Michelle led Harbor City is going to impact the way that they would lead and restore church uptown. And so I wanted someone who goes, man, they lead church as a family. They lead relationally. They lead lovingly. They're not about their own platform or prestige. And so this process has reminded me of another group of relationships between leaders that led to partnering in gospel ministry in different contexts. And it reminds me of the Apostle Paul and his crew. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, Paul writes this to Timothy, or to the Philippians, about Timothy. 
He says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may encourage by news about you. Okay, so Paul is going to send a leader in from the outside to a community he has relationship with. He's going to send someone to community, uh, bring someone in from the outside that's been connected, but now will be um, present locally. Verse 20, he describes Timothy. He says, for I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I can. Uh, therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. Now, one big difference between Timothy and Grant, uh, Grant hasn't been a son of mine in the faith, all right? He doesn't call me Big Papa. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. Uh, he had his own discipleship journey when we met. He had been wildly and well discipled uh, by um, a leader that's one of Chris Vinon's closest fl- friends for decades. But he has been like a brother who has partnered with us in gospel ministry now for almost a decade. And I have watched his life uh, up close and personal. Uh, we know this marriage up close and personal. Uh, we even know August pretty up close and personal. Uh, matter of fact, August is, uh, she's been making me look bad lately. Um, recently, we babysat her for a few nights. And, um, and so Michelle kind of asked August, like, hey, what did you guys do at the house? You know, and then at bedtime, what happened? You know, would, you know, would Andy and Jackie pray with you? And she said, Andy, no pray. Jackie, pray. <laughs> but she's close enough to know I didn't do devos with her that night. So where there's, dis- where there's difference is, you know, Grant's not my son of the faith, um, is a brother. Now, here's where the similarities run, is this is a man and this is a couple who definitely care about your interests, not just their own interests. <laughs> Another thing that, that, that I think Grant has in common with Timothy is he has proven character leading a church for over a decade while being supervised by trusted leaders we look up to. And then last but not least, uh, he's definitely going to encourage me and he's going to encourage you, okay, uh, this couple. And so what I wanted to do today as we close is I wanted to um, just interview Grant and Michelle, uh, give them a chance to share uh, their heart with you, a little bit of their story with you, um, and then we'll close out our time together that way. Is that cool? It has to be because it's what we're doing, all right? So without further ado... Um, uh, for the very first time, give it up for the newest members of the pastoral team, Grant and Michelle Clark. In my mind, I was going to be sitting, so I'm like, what to do with oh, my man. arms? But Should we do that? No, 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 we're good, we're good. Um, yeah, uh, for the both of you, uh, this, this question is for the both of you guys, uh, due to the pandemic, uh, you guys normally would come out every year and minister. We go out over there. Um, because of the pandemic, you guys haven't been out the last two years. We have quite a few new faces who are here. So believe it or not, that means there's quite a few people who may not know who you are. And so what I want to do is just kind of open up by, um, just asking you guys some basic story questions, a little bit about how you grew up, a little bit about how you, um, started to really follow Jesus and a little bit about how, um, Grant, are you already crying? Okay. <laughs> a little bit about how you <laughs> grew up, where you grew up, how you grew up a little bit, uh, how you started to really follow Jesus, and then how you felt called into serving Jesus' church as leaders. Cool. Um, 
it's so good to be here. We, I think we were, Grant and I were saying, in some ways it feels so surreal to be here after almost three years and to see familiar faces, but in other ways it just feels so normal and so right. And I think that's been such a amazing thing about being back in San Diego and being with you this morning is just like a sense of peace and um, yeah, I guess a sense of being with family um, all across, well, from across the world. So um, yeah, really good to <coughs> see you. Um, looking forward to meeting those of you who we haven't met before. Um, yeah, as Andy said, I'm Michelle and I have a very strange accent. To you, it might sound South African or English, but actually or <laughs> I get Australian a lot, but um, never been to Australia, but <coughs> kind of grew up all over the world um, because my parents were all in, in ministry. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. A church planters kid. My parents moved from a country in Africa called Zimbabwe, planted a church in England, and that's where I grew up. Um, and then they moved into missions work, and so we kind of moved around quite a bit growing up. So I have a very strange accent. No matter where I go in the world, people ask where I'm from. So um, there'll be nothing new about being here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I guess my story is really, I was so privileged to grow up in a Christian home with parents who loved Jesus and, um, yeah, prioritized following him. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think I knew God from a young age, but obviously as I grew up and, um, yeah, started to understand more, my maturity grew. And I think as I, I guess, as I grew, I, th I think there were stages in my life where, um, I think in the past I would have said I made the decision to continue following Jesus, but I think um, I realize now that like actually God just pursued me in those moments and I feel so grateful for God's grace in my life. And um, yeah, that's a little bit of my story. Well done. <laughs> um, it, it really does feel kind of <coughs> surreal being here. And a few, well, I don't know, I think Bianca came up and said, welcome home. And it feels strange because we've been here, I think, five times, uh, or maybe even six, and preached in this church and visited over the years. So in some ways, it still feels like, oh, you know, this is the weekend we're here, and then we'll go home. And I think in like four or five weeks, it'll probably feel like, oh, this is very surreal because we're a part of this church. We're leading in this church. We live in San Diego. And I think I just wanted to say before I answer the question, um, Thank you to so many of you just for your kindness and generosity to us as we've arrived. I think, you know, we've come here to play a role in leadership in this church and really to serve and encourage and equip and build this church up so that you can build one another up in love and all of that. And I think we've just experienced a, a lot of generosity and kindness from a lot of you in so many different ways, whether that's prayer or texts or uh, practical things or thoughtfulness or just whatever it is. It's just been so many different ways. A lot of people here have been kind and um, helped us to settle in. So thank you. Um, kind of before we've done anything or served you guys in any way, I think we've experienced that from this church, which is just so cool. Um, but I have the opposite story of Shell. I, I'm kind of born and bred in Durban, have lived there my entire life um, on the east coast of South Africa. So um, this is definitely a big thing to be moving here and moving to the city, joining this community. Um, I did not grow up in a church planner's home or a pastor's home. My, my parents to this day don't follow Jesus. Um, and they've been really supportive of us in so many ways over the years, even kind of coming a few times a year to hear me preach or joining us on Sundays. 
But um, I, I think for me, what was a significant moment when I was about 12 is a friend invited me to a youth group and I started becoming a part of a church and was exposed to Jesus and think I did to some degree respond to him. And then when I was 17, 18, books of a girl, like I'm sure some of you have that story, <laughs> went to a new church and it was just like, I, Shell wasn't the girl, you know, <laughs> I've got a past. <laughs> but because of that, like I, I think in that place, I, I fell in love with Jesus and um, wanted to serve him. And pretty early on felt some kind of sense that I wanted to be a pastor and desired to be a church planter or be involved in that. So it's kind of surreal looking back as a really old 36-year-old at my kind of 18-year-old self and just seeing like God and the way he prompted me and was speaking to me back then and kind of the journey we've been on since. So it's good to be here. That's awesome. Um, uh, For both of you, again, another question would be just, uh, I guess just like why did you guys want to come here? Like why were you willing to move all the way? I think we talked about this once before. Uh, that Durban was like maybe the furthest you could fly from San Diego, um, just distance-wise, um, you know, of flights that are like available, or whatever. And um, and so why do that? Um, like why? What do you love about this church? Why do you want to be here historically? What have you appreciated about this church? And why are you excited to serve specifically here? Yeah, we'll each answer part of that question, but um, I think I wanted to say maybe. Seven years ago, I remember being in a car with Andy. We were driving to a a conference together. And I think for me, I had a moment where there was almost a sense that God was saying to me, in a way, you're going to move here. So I think when Andy says we've been talking for two years, I think it's even longer than that, but almost like the timing just wasn't right. The, The move was right, but the timing wasn't right. So that began... I think the journey for us of just having the sense that God did want us to move here and that that would happen down the line. I mean, Jesus' call in Mark 1 to his disciples was follow me. I think like we follow a moving Messiah, you know, so each one of us, whatever that looks like, there's some kind of response to his call to follow him, whether that's here at work, um, just moving across the world. Um, So that was probably the genesis of this move. But I think for Shell and I, uh, our parents have both lived around the world. My mother was born in Scotland. My dad was born in the island of Mauritius. My sister moved to Singapore to be part of a church plant and now lives in the UK. So I think um, Shell's already shared some of her story. But in our biological DNA, there's a sense of kind of movement. So someone said to me uh, when we were processing this, to you guys, the world is small because you know we've got friends and family around the world. But then I think we also grew up in a church movement that spoke so much about going to the nations. You know, if you know the Great Commission of Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. And I think that was in our heart. And even before we got married, we thought, you know, we don't know how long we're going to be in Durban before God sends us to another city or country or continent or place to serve Him there. So I think for us, we knew this would come. It was painful to move and uproot ourselves to come and plant ourselves here, but we knew it was coming. So it was a slow process, but um, I think a deep, good process for us. Uh, One thing we've laughed about since, so we've been in San Diego for a few weeks, just ending off our sabbatical. And we've, I think we've shared with a few of you, but something that's really made us laugh is, you know, when we've had small talk with people or met people and they've kind of asked where we're from and we've mentioned that we've moved to San Diego, their response has been, congratulations. Which we have laughed about so much. We're like, I, I don't think I've ever welcomed someone to a new place by saying congratulations. 
And Brad Sarian, when I told him that, said, no one said congratulations when he moved to Northridge. So, yeah. so I don't know if it's like an American thing or a San Diego thing, but it's, it's made us laugh because I think being here the last few weeks and just having a bit of space to explore the city and, um, yeah, just have have fun in San Diego we've been like wow it's really beautiful here and obviously we've been here before you know we've done quite a few trips but I think this time we've been like wow you know we've seen new things and we've been like this is a really beautiful city to live in an amazing place but I think it's made us laugh because that was never our, um, our motivation for coming here I think we've just loved this community since the first time we visited and we felt like such a um like a kindred spirit and um yeah, just the incredible thing of, you know, we would leave our church family in Durban, South Africa and come here and feel like we were at home with you. So I think we've just, what we've loved about this community is, um, yeah, the way you've done life together, um, your love for one another, your generosity, your gospel-centered, um, yeah, view of life and relationships. And yeah, I think Andy and Jackie, like their ministry has been so huge to us is, impacted us massively we have huge huge respect for them um so yeah that's that's a lot of why we want to be here i think one last thing i I remember distinctly james and faye gutierrez dropping us at the airport um to fly home once and i was feeling really sad to leave it was probably like four years ago and almost the sense like we were leaving home to go home if that makes sense and i think for us, the hardest thing about leaving Durban was people, you know, saying goodbye to family and friends and our church family there. But probably the, the biggest thing about moving here was people. And I think we really do feel so connected to so many of you. You might not feel that. We feel it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think we really do just love this church. So I think that was probably a, a huge pull for us. Anything else you want to say? Oh, he handed you that mic like... I was about to go down. Uh, sex question is actually for Grant. Uh, so, um, what aspect of your new role as a pastor are you most excited about here at Uptown? Yeah. Uh, I've been working in the church world since I was 21. Um, I had been in advertising before. I was a copywriter and had been quite excited about, you know, that kind of path for a while. And um, I think somewhere along the line, God was just changing my heart, as I spoke about. And I know, like, one of the jokes is people sit in church on Sunday and think about Monday, think about work, you know. I would sit at work and I'd think about church and, like, I don't know, be daydreaming about ministry and stuff like that, which most of you probably think is lame, but that's absolutely (laughs) fine. Um, But I think inside my heart is just such a desire to disciple people and equip people to follow Jesus and serve him. And I think it's such a privilege to come into this church to play a role in helping people to know and love and serve and follow and obey and enjoy Jesus. So I think the thought of doing that here professionally is like the dream. Um, And I think my title is something like pastor of discipleship and communities. It's pretty close if I've got that wrong. But I think to be um, helping make disciples and strengthen disciples whether that's individually or in groups is just the dream for me so real privilege to do that cool um and then i uh, just want to ask for both of you guys is there anything you want to say to our church in terms of um yeah like encouragement challenge is anything you want to like say as you come in um kind of pastorally yeah um i think this is maybe a bit generic because we haven't gotten 
to spend a lot of time with all of you guys. This is our first time in a gathering. We haven't been in a GC yet or anything like that. But I think I just wanted to say as someone who's known this church and its history and its story for at least the last seven years, um, I wanted to say if you're new here, and I don't know if that's you, you know, you could have been here three years, this could be your first week here. Um, I just wanted to say this is a great place to get to know Jesus. It's a great place to begin to follow him, to explore the faith, to ask questions. It's a safe place for that. I want to say, I think Shell mentioned this earlier, but we've grown through our visits here, through time with you guys, and just have found the culture of this community so beautiful. So Andy's talking about um, orthodoxy and heterodoxy and orthopraxy and all of those things. This place has got great gospel teaching, but also just such a great gospel culture. And we've been so marked by that over the years. So if you're new here, I want to encourage you. I think this is a great place to explore the faith or grow in the faith. Um, and then if you've been around for a long time, um, and again, I'm, I'm not saying this pointedly at all. I'm saying this because just church has been wild the last two years, you know, church in Durban, <laughs> church in South Africa. I've got friends all over the world leading churches, involved in church. I think the pandemic and lockdowns and just the craziness of the last few years have made this such a weird, disconnected thing. I just wanted to say, I, I think a lot of people around the world have lost some of the, the disciplines and habits, healthy habits of church community and community life. And I think if you've been part of this church for a while or have been following Jesus for a while, my encouragement to you would just be, if you have lost some of the practices or habits you had before, regular Sunday attendance, serving, praying, encouraging, loving, giving, wh whatever it might be in this church, you've lost those things, I want to encourage you to start them again so that you could bring your gifts, your talents, your time, your money, your energy to build this church up to serve San Diego and beyond because that's what a healthy and beautiful church looks like. Thanks, Rob. Um, Shell, anything? Or no? Shell's going to finish off. Okay. Oh, okay. We'll just say um, yeah, is there any way we can be, uh, last question is more just how we can bless you guys. You'll be, I know you're gonna be blessing us a ton over the next few years, but is there any way we can be praying for you to, as we start this new scene, uh, as you guys start this new season in San Diego with a new church? Yeah, I think, um, obviously a move like this is big. Um, just the practical logistics of moving countries is huge, you know. Um, we're currently trying to open a bank account. That's really hard. But um, <laughs> So prayer for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you could just pray for us with just the logistics of settling into life here, finding a home, um, obviously as a family with our daughter, August, just that it would be a smooth transition for us. And If um, anyone has an extra car also, you have like a third car that's just... <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it'd be helpful. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think obviously there's a practical side and then, yeah, if you could just pray that our time here would be encouraging for you as a community, that um, our ministry would be fruitful, um, yeah, that we would add to the life of Restored Uptown. And then probably lastly is just, um, obviously it's hard leaving friends and family. <laughs> Sorry. You started this off. <laughs> um, <laughs> you and Andy, this is like bound to make me cry. Um, but yeah, that's a hard part. So just press. Uh, we really are just thrilled to have you. 
I hope you know that. And I know it's going to take a while to transition and to grieve. Um, but man, take as much time as you need. But simultaneously, um, as much as you want to jump in, we'd, we'd love to have you. So we love you. Incredibly grateful for you.